Welcome to Korean True Crime with me, your host, Mimi Mizigo. Today's episode covers a devastating fire that erupted in train 1079 as it stopped at Jungno Station. Passengers fled to safety, but the next train had no clue of the dire situation they were approaching. An incident that now is known as one of the world's worst public arson attacks, the Daegu subway arson attack might have been preventable. Thank you to Vix Mac, Lala, Jay Colomo, and Ben Jones for their support on Patreon. It truly means the world to me. And thank you to everyone who has followed on social media and sent me messages or comments about the show. If you're looking to become a patron of the show, patrons receive ad-free early access episodes, weekly true crime vocabulary hinting at the content of the next case, exclusive access to polls to vote on future episode topics, and the occasional bonus content. There are no tiers, so all patrons gain access to everything. If you'd like to find the show on social media, search for Korean True Crime. Video podcasts are available a week later on YouTube, and show notes are available for free on Patreon. Throughout today's episode, we will discuss the incident itself, then take a closer look at the perpetrator and the aftermath of the incident. At the end of the show today, I'll discuss my visit to the memorial erected at Jungno Station. So stick around. What was that? a.m. on February 18, 2003, Kim Dae-han walked into a gas station and filled up two gallon-sized, or two-liter-sized, plastic bottles with gasoline. The clear bottles stank as he entered the terminal for Songhyun subway station. He walked down the steps into the underground station, past small stores and cafes, to get on train 1079 bound for Anshim station on Daegu subway line number one. A foreboding fact, Anshim in Korean means to be relieved or relaxed. This word can also be used to describe safety or security, something that this story is going to lack a lot of. Kim Dae-han rode the subway for a few stops while standing, holding his plastic bottles that were making the train car smell like a gas station. He was drawing angry looks from the other passengers who were annoyed by this offensive smell. His body language was even more concerning as he was pacing around the train car near the exit doors. He pulled out a lighter and began playing with the spark wheel. Another passenger who had nervously been watching him pace around the train called out to him and asked him to stop playing with the lighter inside the train. This outburst wasn't a part of Kim Dae-han's plan, and it startled him. The train stopped at Bangwoldong Station at 9.51 a.m. The doors opened, but Dae-han decided he needed more time to think of his plan. He sat in an empty seat next to the doors. Bangwoldong is a very large station that transfers to many different subway lines all across the metropolitan city of Daegu, so a lot of people were getting on the train at this stop. The subway was inexpensive and fast, which made it the preferred mode of transportation for much of the city commuters. In the short minute between Panwoldang Station and the next stop, Jangangno Station, Dehan stood again by the doors to continue playing with his lighter. However, Dehan decided to begin lighting the lighter. 
flicking the flame on and off next to the doors. The passenger who had previously asked him to stop was getting very irritated by this man's odd behavior, and he stood up to try to stop Daehan from continuing to flick the lighter on and off. But as the train stopped at Jungangno Station and the doors opened, the lighter flame ignited the gasoline remnants on the outside of the plastic bottles. Daehan's shirt sleeve ignited and he ran out of the train car, throwing the plastic bottles inside the crowded train. The liquid poured onto the floor and spread the fire across the cushioned bench seats and walls. Many passengers were also hit by the flaming liquid thrown onto them. Screams from the burning passengers echoed throughout the large subway terminal. Within seconds, black smoke began pouring into the connecting subway cars. Less than a minute after the gasoline ignited, the subway engineer saw the smoke from the CCTV and ran to the burning car with an extinguisher, trying to contain the aggressive fire. Unfortunately, there were no fire alarms on the subway itself. The engineer, Che Jonghwan, 31-year-old man, had panicked and tried to control the situation before calling for help from the subway command center or from the fire department. His attempts to extinguish the fire were unsuccessful, as the materials within the train itself were highly flammable. But we'll learn a little bit more about that later. As smoke filled the train and the subway station, the fire alarms within the shopping center on the floor above the underground subway began to alert of the fire below. However, amongst the chaos of people running from the subway and the smoke making it more and more difficult to see, many people didn't know where the fire was even coming from. Within that minute after the fire began, the subway general command center hears from a station employee that the fire alarm is going off at Jungangno station, but they aren't actually sure where the fire is. They attempted to contact the subway engineer, but were unable to get a hold of him because he was attempting to extinguish the fire himself. The general command center asked the employee to investigate the fire and report back to them as they contact the fire safety headquarters. They reported a general fire at Jungangno Station, but were unsure of where it was located. After three minutes had passed, the situation was becoming more dire. Passengers are continuing to flee, but the smoke had made it almost pitch black within the underground area. The upstairs fire alarm had activated the fire shutters, which began closing off most of the pathways for people to escape from. If you're unfamiliar with fire shutters, it's not just metal doors that come to cover entries of businesses, but instead, if you walk around underground areas in Korea, you'll notice a door frame unattached to anything in the middle of a pathway randomly, seemingly a door to nowhere. In case of a fire, walls will come down on either side of the door frame, attaching to another door frame further down and separate the fire from the other side of the wall. The doors can be used for people to escape through, but in this instance, the fire shutters were also trapping all of the smoke within the subway terminal, making it impossible for people to see because there were no emergency lights. The engineer of train 1079 had fled with most of the passengers on board. Without following the protocol to call in the fire, and within three minutes of the fire beginning, all six cars of train 1079 had been overtaken by the raging fire. Unaware, train 1080 approached the station from the other side. Just four minutes later, on schedule at 10.56 a.m. Engineer Che Sang-yo had called into the general command when he saw smoke ahead. He was told by the general command to proceed with caution because there was a fire ahead. 
but they had already waited too long to contact train 1080 and they had pulled up to the opposite side of the platform next to the burning train 1079. So engineer Choi Sanyeol instructed passengers to remain calm, but the doors had automatically opened as they stopped at the station, filling each of the train cars with smoke. The fire had spread so much that there was almost nowhere for the passengers to escape to outside, but people were still trying to escape through the pitch black smoke. Because there were no emergency lights or available flashlights to help them find the small fire shutter doors, hundreds of people were trapped in the underground, choking on the toxic smoke. As engineer Che continued to try to move the subway to safety away from the encroaching fire, the emergency fire detector in the subway tunnel was triggered, shutting off power to the entire building. The subway was stuck there, and the people who were told to stay calm inside the train cars were trapped as the automatic doors sealed shut. Engineer Che, over the next few minutes, would continue to shout throughout the train for passengers to remain calm and to stay inside. He would make this announcement three times as he tried to reach the subway command center. Just three floors above, the fire department had arrived to the scene and began evacuating those stuck inside the shopping area. The engineer was able to get power back through the train's backup batteries and could finally call for help. They had been without power for just over a minute and it was now 9.58 a.m. Only six minutes had passed and in this situation, with the smoke not having anywhere to go, people were suffocating. The power inside the train turned back on just briefly and he was told to wait and tell the passengers to return to the train cars. The command center said, we will turn the power back on and you can depart the train to safety. The engineer did as he was told and shouted for everyone to return to the train who had gone out to the platform and for everyone to remain calm as they would soon depart. However, the fire had caused irreparable damage to the power sources and after several attempts to restore power, they discovered that it was impossible. There was nothing they could do. They had wasted four precious minutes trying and failing to restore power to the train. And during those four minutes, the engineer instructed passengers over the intercom to open the doors manually to create air ventilation as they waited for power to return. However, there were no signs indicating how to operate the doors manually, so many of the train cars remained sealed. And those sealed train cars would soon become a tomb for those trapped inside as the fire began to overtake train 1080. Above ground, fire trucks and ambulances from all over the city came to rescue the survivors and control the fire. However, at 10.10 a.m., 18 minutes after Kim Dae-han started the fire and 14 minutes since train 1080 stopped at the station, Engineer Cho was able to receive a message from the subway command center. The message was distressing. The command center told him to quickly evacuate and to tell passengers to save themselves. They said, kill the train's engine and run. So Cho did exactly that. He told the passengers to run and save themselves before grabbing the master key. As soon as that master key was removed, the emergency power on the train shut off, closing the few doors that passengers were able to open. 142 passengers would be trapped amongst the six train cars. Cho Sang-yeol made his escape with some of the passengers to the surface, leaving behind the passengers screaming for help at the train doors. 
Ambulances were taking survivors to nearby hospitals, and all trains in the city were ordered to stop. The cause of the attack was known to be a singular man, but they hadn't caught Kim Dae-han. The assumption was that he had also perished in the fire. By 1.40 p.m., almost four hours later, the fire had been extinguished and the found survivors had been taken to the hospitals. Search and rescue had started a full-scale body recovery. 79 passengers were found dead within train 1080, most of whom had died from smoke inhalation rather than the fire itself. Some victims had died just outside of the fire shutters. As the smoke filled the area and they couldn't find the doors, they suffocated looking for help. If you'd like to see photographs from the aftermath of the incident, they'll be available on Patreon and YouTube following the release of this episode. I don't release any graphic photos of victims, so the photos are just of the train station and the train itself. From the arson attack by Kim Dae-han, 192 people lost their lives and 152 people suffered injuries. To this day, six of the bodies found on the train have not been identified as the remains turned to ash from the heat. The seats on the train cars were made from polyurethane foam, which is highly flammable, and the flooring and siding on the interior of the train was made with polyvinyl chloride, which, when burnt, creates toxic gas, which explains why so many passengers died from the smoke so quickly. If you love binge listening to true crime podcasts like I do, then I have a show for you. Heinous, an Asian true crime podcast, brings a revived look of some of the most heinous crimes that have happened all across Asia. Be transported right in the middle of a case in Singapore, following beside a madman who mentored students to kill his own wife or be deep into the Twitter feeds of a serial killer from Japan. New episodes are available every Tuesday at 6 p.m. The show can be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Take a listen to a trailer from the show now. You are a person who constantly wants to die. Why do you need the money? Takahiro's temple began to throb. The sweat on his forehead dripped into his eyes, and for a second, it blinded him. That was chilling. If you want to check out Heinous, an Asian true crime podcast, click the link in the description of this episode. In the aftermath of the incident, train engineer Cho sang was nowhere to be found, and neither was the arsonist Kim Tae-han. Tegu Hospital Emergency Departments were frantically trying to keep up with the injured patients coming in. At a nearby hospital, passengers from the very train car that Kim Tae-han threw the gasoline bottles into were being treated for their burns. They were incredibly lucky to have survived the attack. The fire shutters hadn't closed by the time they had reached the first underground floor, allowing them to escape quickly. While a man was being treated, he noticed a man whose arms and legs had been burned next to him. He felt shocked. That 
that was the arsonist. Kim Taehan was sitting next to him, being treated for his burns, as if he himself was a victim of the attack. The man reported Kim Taehan to the police, who arrived to secure him. He received his treatment for his burns and was taken to the police station. After Kim Taehan threw the gasoline, he suffered burns to his arms and legs. But in those moments of pain, he decided he wanted to live, a choice he hadn't given the 192 victims who perished in the fire. Kim Dae-han, when interrogated, bumbled around the room muttering to himself in gibberish. He was acting like a confused old man, and then like he was wrongly accused, but then escalated his foolish act as the interrogation continued. The insane act went on long enough that the police brought in a state psychiatrist to perform an examination on him to determine his sanity. The psychiatrist saw through the act and determined that he was, indeed, capable of understanding his actions and their consequences. In Korea, the insanity plea is incredibly appealing. A person who is found to have reduced mental capacity to control their own will shall not be punished. Those are the words of Article 10 of the South Korean Criminal Law. This law has been contested countless times as criminologists believe the vagueness of this law has led to alcohol intoxication, drug use, and impulse control disorders to be considered for mitigated punishments without rehabilitative or treatment-focused sentences. More was discovered about Kim Taehan's motivations as the criminal investigation and trial continued. 56-year-old Kim Taehan, a taxi driver for many years, suffered a stroke in April 2001, two years prior to the incident. Because of his stroke, he wasn't able to live on his own any longer or continue his career. He had no family that would take care of him and was forced to live in a traditional medicine hospital so that he could continue to be treated for his condition. As time went on, his feelings of loneliness, resentment, and depression began to grow as his health worsened. He began acting out on his feelings and acted violently towards other patients and staff at the hospital. Despite the verbal and physical abuse the staff received from him, they continued to treat him and didn't report his actions to the police. Ten days prior to the arson attack, he ran away from the facility and attempted to end his own life. He was found and his life was saved. In the next few days, he would try to escape multiple more times unsuccessfully. Each time, his treatment was never changed and his actions were never reported. The day of the incident came, February 18, 2003. He left the facility successfully, angry at his deteriorating health and the world that had thrown him away or so he thought. His increasingly depressive and destructive thoughts had completely destroyed the person that he once was. While we certainly don't need to find excuses for the act that he did or create sympathy for him, we can learn this to understand what led to him harming others. The hospital had failed to intervene to protect others and himself. It should be said, he also had told his doctors his intent to harm others and had mentioned his plans to hurt other people in the days prior to this attack. During his trial, he wasn't given a reduced sentence because of his mental state, because he did know what he was doing and he intended to harm others. So the prosecution demanded the death sentence. But because of his decaying health, he was given life in prison, which, in a year's time, he had died from his chronic illnesses in Jinju Prison on August 31st, 2004. Some of the victims of the attack would also suffer for their last days. 
Survivors of the attack that suffered from smoke inhalation injuries would live with lifelong illnesses due to the toxic gas created from the burning trains. The toxic gas damaged their eyes, skin, and lungs that they would need to treat for the rest of their lives. Those who escaped, even without physical injury, were treated for PTSD from the traumatic incident. Sadly, some of the survivors couldn't take the strain of the trauma and took their own lives. With so much hurt and death that was all brought on by a selfish man's rage, the city wasn't without blame. A separate trial was brought for the two train engineers of train 1079 and train 1080. The first engineer, Cho Zhang Huan, who failed to report the fire and fled without properly executing an evacuation plan, was sentenced to four years in prison. The engineer of train 1080, Cho sang was sentenced to five years in prison after a review of the train communication channels revealed that the delayed or vague communication done between him and the command center suggested that instead of passenger evacuation, they were focused on covering up the incident. They were trying to control the situation rather than the fire. Tegu's government received a lot of blame for the shoddy craftsmanship. The materials of the train were flammable, combustible, and toxic. Citizens refused to use the subway trains for almost a year until the stations were rebuilt with safety features. I can't imagine the betrayal they felt by the city that didn't protect them. This has ignited many debates about whether Korea's rapid industrialization and growth has been thanks to cutting corners, like ignoring safety. In the half decade that I've lived in Korea, I've noticed many situations that have made me extremely uncomfortable because of the lack of concern for public safety, whilst being very strict about certain aspects of safety that almost seem performative at times. I criticize this because I hope Korea will improve so that incidences like this never happen again. It's because I love being in Korea that I want them to do better. If you've stuck around this long, thank you. I want to tell you about my visit to Daegu City's memorial for the arson attack. Erected in 2017 in Jangangno Station at the pavement area for the subway terminal, the memorial features some of the original columns, newspaper stands, telephone booths, and lockers. The columns are standing in their original places, untouched but shielded by glass. But the other pieces of history are placed in a walkthrough tunnel on a side wall, with murals on the outside paying homage to the lives lost. When you walk into the dark tunnel, you can see a semicircle stack of polished black bricks, stacked in a staggering pattern up to the ceiling, with a small bowl on a pedestal in the middle. Each of the bricks is etched nicely with the names of the deceased. The purpose of the bowl was beyond my comprehension, potentially for people to lay flowers, but there were no signs regarding its purpose. Some of the bricks did have flowers placed in their crevices. Moving further, visitors can watch a video detailing information about the incident in a very solemn tone. The video focuses on the damage done to the train station and those who passed away, but considering this was created by the city, it doesn't mention the negligence by the city itself. As I made my way down the short tunnel, there are preserved phone booths, a small market stall for newspapers, and art that was on the walls. Subway signs, poles, and even an ATM have been preserved. 
One thing that stands out the most as you see this moment frozen in time is that people were able to visit here in the aftermath of the arson attack. And many of these soot-covered items have messages wiped, scratched, and smudged onto them. From the ones that can be easily read, I found Rest in Peace. Another, a message for a girl named Sei Li, which was worn away. And another, that was a message for a girl named Jiun that said, I really miss you a lot. A message that stood out to me when I saw it was written on the wall. It read, I hope your death was painless, all written among the melted phone booths, locker doors, and metal signs. If you'd like to see photos from my visit, you can check them out on my video podcast on YouTube or a free post on my Patreon. It's hard ending this episode without satisfying justice. I have hope that future generations in power can take care of one another and think about each other's safety. With safety measures in place now, we can only hope that something like this will never happen again. Thank you for listening to Korean True Crime. If you'd like to hear more, Follow the show wherever you listen to your podcasts and be sure to leave a review. If you'd like to send feedback, find me on all social media sites at Korean True Crime. 다음에 또 봐요. See you next time.